Vibrant Adepts, we are live. And every time I hear that new intro song, I'm just like, that fits the vibe like nothing else. Thank you, Volo. Go check out Volo on Spotify or Bandcamp or wherever you like to get music, V-O-L-O. And yeah, this is going to be a good one. I mean, full moon and Gemini, perfect night to be exposing perhaps the evilest of all systems ever imagined by humans or did humans even make this up and before we start you know everybody out there say a little prayer to um relieve us of any possible curses or whatever put upon this information because this is some uh you know we're all enmeshed in this shit yet it's so perfectly hidden in plain sight we're gonna be talking about the blackest of all magic dylan sicoshio our guest tonight his second book from the spirit world series and if you haven't checked that one out catch up He's got that cover. I got this cover. Variant covers like comic books. You got to collect them all. (laughs) And yeah, okay. So Blackest of All Magic. This is the second book in the series. It focuses mostly on the legal system, sorcery. And what is important to know going into this is how everything that's happened over human history that has led to this congregation. (laughs) I use that word. Sorry. Uh, accumulation of power, <laughs> congregation of power. <laughs> accumulation. Part of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's an accumulation of power into the hands of a few, right? We see uh, kings, we see governments, we see what have you owning all the land and hu- all of us regular commoners having to deal with property tax and all kinds of other bullshit. And it's really more like we're renters and tenants than true sovereigns in any way, shape or form. And how did this happen? You know, we've talked about this before, but we're going to go deeper into it. How did it happen that any, any group was able to actually grab hold of all the land, you know, like how did humanity even get to the point where you could believe that someone could own land? These are really important questions because before at a certain point, you would think that it was just you lived where you lived and the earth was the earth and you did your thing and defended your turf, but there wasn't like paperwork on it. <laughs> so Dylan's going to take us through uh, some notes that he prepared for, um, for us. And it's going to be a good, good deep ride. He wasn't really doing podcasts back when he wrote this book. So it's going to be great for him to expose this material onto the airwaves for us. And yeah, we're going to have a good time. So what's up, Dylan? What's up, Gabriel? Loving it, dude. And tech, uh, technically, the moon is in Taurus if you're going to do sidereal. Technically. And, uh, if you go look out, people, right now you can see Mars with it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so what you're saying with that uh, feudalism and stuff. So my latest book is really going to show how it traces back to Asia, the, the feudal system, and that feudalism was indeed an exotic plant to Europe. It's not native here, as is monarchies. Um, and you can go, you can go back and see quotes I included in my previous books that, uh, prior to the time of the worship of Janus, Europe didn't have monarchies. Now that's not to say there wasn't other, uh, difficult things going on, mainly people, um, fighting over land to establish themselves and all that. But, uh, this is a system that can be traced, but like you said, blackest of all magic. That's why I called it that is because when I started figuring out what they're doing with legalese and all that stuff, um, it really was the blackest of all magic. And still, I haven't met uh, somebody or seen anybody's work who's done it as well as I have, and then actually tied it into the religious systems, because most people will overlook the fact that this is all ecclesiastic in nature and based on canon law. And canon, canon, 
Canaanites. CNN. Kanun. QAnon. Yeah. You probably won't hear this on CNN. Yeah. QAnon. Well, this is going to be for those people who, uh, you know, trusted in all these like psyops or whatever, but this is actually a system that's very well sourced and you can, um, look at it for yourself and I won't waste everybody's time with the citations, but if you look through the material, uh, you'll see it there. And it's very important because it doesn't matter. You know, I think a lot of people think like when I touched upon all this stuff, I had like an, an ax to grind with like religious bodies or religious people or whatever. And it's not, it's this system and it's all tied together. It's interlocked and it's depriving us of rights. And it's depriving us most importantly of property. And if you don't own property, you become property. And that's the way it is. Well said, Gabriel, you got anything for this uh, introdu- introduction to this topic? I know you've got your Black's Law Dictionary ready. Yep, I'm locked and loaded, ready to go, man. I'm excited for this one. Uh, yeah, not much to add. Let's see, where's my, can these turn up? Got my common law community training manual. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited. Let's, let's, let's dig in. Yeah. And and feel free to jump in, you guys. I'm just I just got a lot of material so I can go as fast or slow as you want. And if we don't get through, you know, if it's, you know, the time runs down, whatever, we can just do another episode and pick up where we left off. It's not a big deal at all. I've got this very succinctly mapped out. Okay, cool. You hear that, Gabriel? Jump in if you got observations. Right on, right on. All right. So um, as far as the modern system is concerned, it ties to the papal bulls. And papal bulls get their name from boule. I know a lot, not a lot of people are familiar with that word. It means council, but it's a play on the word bail, which would be spelled B-A-A-L. Sometimes it's spelled B-O-L or like, and that would be Hebrew, or it would be uh, B-E-L, bel, in uh, some of the older systems like Phoenician or uh, Chaldean, uh, which would just be B-L, but it means Lord. And so the papal bulls we're going to focus on tonight, uh, specifically, the first one is unum sanctum, meaning one holy or the first express trust. And it was created on November 13th, 1302 by Pope Boniface. And in it, it claims every human creature is subject to the Roman pontiff. This we declare, say, define and pronounce to be altogether necessary for salvation. So it essentially declares Pope to be the king of the world. And all, you know, he rules all humans and is above human judgment and that those conditions are literally necessary for our salvation. Uh, You'll also see things in it like this one and single church has one head and not two. Uh, Another quote from it is if the supreme power, which is the papacy. And uh, in my fantasy series, I, I joke about it being the paper C because it's all tied to this legal fiction thing. Uh, If the supreme power deviates, it can be judged not by man, but by God alone. It also states that every human creature, like I said, is subject to the Roman pontiff. This we declare, say, define and pronounce to be altogether necessary to salvation. And so then the next papal bull that they got us with would be Romanus Pontifex. And uh, I don't know if I said this, but unum sanctum means the one holy. So Uh, I want to point out to... People use the word deviate as like, you know, just to change in the modern, but in the older sense of the word, deviate means to turn aside from the common or right way. 
So, you know, we're saying they're saying that if they if they're not doing if they're not following what's right, they're still not answerable to anybody in this Unum Sanctum. Correct. And um, just for people who, you know, aren't sure about this pontiff comes from Pontifex, which is a bridge builder. Um, This goes into the old Roman system. And the fact that it's still in the Catholic system, Catholic means universal because it is and always has been a product of the church. And a lot of people will say, like say that, you know, they'll profess their love for Catholicism or Christianity or the church. And they set it up as though this was a really good, well-intentioned system that then got corrupted. And it's actually the exact opposite. Everything they say, like um, people corrupted Christianity, it's the exact opposite. They're always projecting what they did. Christianity corrupt what was good, corrupted what was good. And it's very observable in the latest book, uh, book six, when it comes out. I'm going to really take some gut shots and expose that Christianity comes directly from the therapeuti, which are the healers, you know, the miracle workers, also known right. as the ascent. Yeah. So, and that's all Egypt. And who are they? Well, they're a Jewish Buddhist sect from the East. It's very, it's beyond observable, but the ignorance in these spaces due to the religious hexes that everybody's running, it makes them unable to see this system. And if you can't see the system, there's not a damn thing you can do about it to either unsubscribe from it yourself or make others aware of it. And that's really what we need. We just need to bring awareness to it because once there's enough people that are displeased with it, then we'll change into something else. But it's always going to be an offer. You know, it's all of this is based on contracts. Very. Yeah. One of, one of the uh, astrological uh, breakthroughs that uh, Chance and I have had, uh, uh, thanks to John McHugh in his work with the Lumashi, is uh, he's pretty much pinpointed the Pegasus, Pegasus Square as the origin of uh, agreements, contracts, the papacy. Uh, we're pretty sure that the entire Pegasus Square might represent uh, the bridge. They know that the pontifex is riding upon. Uh, you know, apparently that square was in uh, in the old tongues. It meant like the tablet. You know, and it's uh, it's the Garden of Eden. It's uh, this wellspring of knowledge. Uh, so it's, it's just fascinating that we've got the Pope's claim is a stellar body. And uh, we've kind of got that in our crosshairs. I completely got it in our crosshairs. John McHugh will be on with us live or with me (laughs) live on Sunday night. Oh, snap. And I have a feeling we're going to talk to him more than once, but we're covering, I believe, the nativity story and where that lives in the stars and how that has roots much older than Christianity going to uh, Hinduism and even the Sumerian, Babylonian, Akkadian system. Right. If there was such a thing as Babylon, that looks a lot like Troy and Rome and astrotheology as well. Totally. And I'm excited to be able to expose him to some of our arms of this research because yeah. uh, he's he's done some amazing stuff from from his end in the the Middle East. Big time. And so that one fact alone, uh, Dylan, is really gratifying for this uh, the papacy because of the rights. You know, it's got the four corners make the right angle or the right corners of the uh, Pegasus square. And so those, the, not only are those the rights of the two dimensional, you know, uh, origin of knowledge that the Pope is putting claim on, but it's also rides 
the horse, the, the horse, you ride on this white horse of Pegasus. So all of this virtue signaling is actually astrological. And it's pretty profound that we've uh, got a finger on the one place that they're laying claim uh, with Pegasus in the square there. Yeah, that, that constellation has got the serpent, the tree of knowledge. Everything is going on encoded in the Lumashi or the constellation writing there. In the names of the asterisms and uh, nearby constellations, it's all in that spot. Yeah, buddy. Well, the gods of the north are significant because that's like if you know where the northern constellations are, it doesn't matter. You can find everything else that you need to find um, from Pegasus, whatever. Um, but uh, the don't quote me on this because it's been a hot minute. But I think uh, according to the Etruscans, the Pegasus represented uh, being the ability to sail by night. And that was really significant uh, in the old world is the navigation. Like once they had the stars, but then with the invention of the compass, and that's another gravel, like the compass is way, way older than they want us to believe. Um, that's pretty cool, though. That's super cool to think about. Yeah, but I don't know, you know, don't quote me on it because it's been a hot minute and I'm very particular, even like with my own people, like mm -hmm. people throwing stuff out there. But then if I don't have the inscription and you're just making this shut up based on like you're looking at the symbolism like tarot cards, that's not acceptable for me. So don't mm -hmm. quote me on the Pegasus being sailing by night, but I have seen claims related to something like that. And it would make sense based on you need to know the stars of the north and at least in the old world. To a degree. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's get back to the papal bulls. The next one would be Romanus Pontifex, meaning the Roman bridge builder. And it's the first testamentary trust as opposed to an implied a testamentary trust is, as opposed to like implied one. It's written down. It's expressed. Um, the they, they created that in January 8th of 1455 by Pope Nicholas V through a deed and will, which created a deceased estate. And it conveys the right of uh, the use of land as real property from Unum Sanctum, which is the prior papal bull, because this stuff all builds on it uh, on itself. And it was essentially to it gives that to the uh, the control of that to the pope or the pontiff and his successors. What's this one called? Romanus Pontifex. And uh, it says in it again, like all of them, when you see it, it's always for perpetual re remembrance meaning forever. <laughs> and thus all uh, land, according to this writ, is claimed as crown land. And uh, this represented the first SDKV trust, which deprives humans of all beneficial entitlements and rights on land. Yeah, now, this is from Pope Eugenics, Eugenicist. I mean, I mean uh, Eugenius, <laughs> Eugenius. <laughs> Eugene. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I went to Eugene, Oregon. I was like, man, this place has got some dark vibes. And then you start seeing all like the sorcery stuff around there and then it's called Eugene. It's like, oof. Um, yeah. And so that would be the, the quote unquote, the first crown of the triple bell uh, of the triple crown of bail, which is the Lord. And so you'll see that papal like tiara looking thing where it's like three crowns that he wears. Um, in the mytho mythological sense, you would have like the, the, that number is very significant. As you saw with the last episode we did, it represents those three hashes, the, um, the tropics and the equator. And those are the three significant points that you need to know where the sun goes back and forth. And right, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick, Jack, jump over the candlestick. Nice. Um, and so anyways, the third would be a tyranny, 
Regis. And that would be spelled A-E-T-E-R-N-I. Regis, R-E-G-I-S, meaning of the eternal king or the eternal king. And it was issued on June 21st, 1481 by Pope Sixtius IV. And it basically made the king and prince of Portugal and their successors exempt from interdiction, suspension, and excommunication by apostolic letters that do not make full and express and verbatim mention of the said indult. Um, And I don't know if that's a typo, if indult is an old word, or if it's insult. I can't remember. Uh, This is the second of only three papal bulls that are deeds of testamentary trusts. Indult is a Roman Catholic Um, word, is a license granted by the Pope. uh, Authorizing an act that the common law of the church does not sanction, which is what all licenses are. Technically, a license is the ability to do something illegal. Perfect. Thank you for being on the spot with that because it's been a hot minute since it's been years since I looked at this stuff. Cause this is the stuff that really made me angry that I had to kind of let go. I was like, I can't, I just got to put out what I know and let it go and let other people deal with it. Cause it gets my blood boiling. Yeah, buddy. Um, but this is, so this is the second of only three papal bulls that are deeds of testamentary trust. Uh, this it's called the crown of Aragon. It, uh, is the highest sovereign and steward of all Roman slaves subject to the pontiff. And it corresponds to the second Sestakevi trust regarding the birth certificate, which condemns us to perpetual slavery on the Roman quote unquote citizen ship. And so that would be the, the crown of Aragon would be the second crown of the triple crown of Baal of uh, that of the Commonwealth. And um, for those who don't realize, like the reason these locations are significant, Portugal, Spain. This is all like the Iberian Peninsula. And so in the latest book, you'll see how that plays into the Phoenicians and all that stuff and where this system comes from and how it was able to spread like it did. And it was through the Maritime Empire. And if you look at like even in older English, they spell the word C like S-E-A. They spell it as S-E-E. So the Holy See is also the Holy See as an S-E-A in Maritime. And that's why you look at these maritime admiralty law, Lex Rodia, whatever, you know what I mean? The law of the seas. Rhodes is just another goddess of the sea, right? Like Rhode Island is the ocean state. Um, yeah. So This is also coming from the watchers. So when we're talking about the sea, sea connection, what you see and the sea of stars above are, it's, a, it's an interrelated concept. I want to have you talk more about the triple crown and symbolism related to the triple crown, what that is before you move into the third part of it? Yeah. So that, uh, if you just look up, let me see if you type in triple crown, see what comes up. It's a, it's a paper. Uh, of course the freaking racing comes up. Let's see. Pope triple crown. So everyone just types in triple crown of Pope. Yeah. You'll see it. it's a papal tiara. And you don't really see him wear it too much, but the symbolism it's it, again, it's related to the Trinity, the thrice great aspect of the sun, because the sun is different at, uh, it doesn't matter which part of the world you're in, unless you're close to the equator, there's three significant times of year that matter. And, uh, it would be between those, ca- uh, tropics and the equator. Right. And that's how you know when to like plant, when to harvest, all that stuff. And um, back then that's, you know, your life 
your empire dependent on that because you need to be able to grow uh, farinaceous grains or starchy grains so that you could feed people spread out and that you didn't have to rely on like hunting and gathering and all that other shit. And so that's the common denominator. But so, so that's uh, other stuff that symbolizes that, like the fleur de lis. Yeah. Uh, and there are other symbols that you can think of. So just so you, people know, I'm going to address this on Crow on uh, December 12th because we had talked about the Berbers and stuff and we didn't get to like Mauritania and like that part of North Africa that's observably Phoenician, which are Celtic. Because if you look at the DNA tests of the Berber, they're a match for those in Finland. Um, and also like the Sami language, which is kind of similar to like, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it came from the Samnites in Italy or if it came from Samos in Greek. I don't know. I, I, that's a thread that I'll have to pull a little bit further. But North Africa and Europe was Celtic. And this is the grabble that everybody's doing. They're trying to make it say that it's the exact opposite, that they moved in on all these cultures that had already built all this shit. And so when you look at Ethiopia, Egypt, it's observably Indian, right? That all comes from India. And so this, you had this blend in these regions of Celtics and in India. Go ahead, Gabe, you're going to say something? Or are you just waving? I'm just waving it out. Okay, I just want to make sure, like, please cut me off and jump in, you guys. If there's anything like, you know. No, have at it. Have at it for sure. So just to the floor de Lee, well, Lysus is lion. So look this up, everybody. It's L-I-X-U-S. Uh, you can do that on Wikipedia. It's an old Phoenician town in Mauritania. Mauritania, they say, is, means land of the Moors, but Maur is Phoenician for Lord. That's where Mars comes from. Prince. Uh, great. It means prince, great, and lord. Which so basically see, means that it's the same word as Baal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll see that in the British, like the rulers, they'll all have these like versions of that encoded in their name. It's really interesting. And, and to so go back to the legal system, that word also magistrate means the same thing. And magistrate also could be said in the older times as God, lower, lowercase g. And it judges are magistrates. So we're talking about the legal system. And chance. The judges that. of the legal system are Baal, are Maur, all the Ma- above. Mages, Magi, Mage. Magi. Yeah. So you look at all of this, it's all uh, connected. And that's that's what people don't want to see. But that if you were to just boil down the spiritual symbolism up, just think of it as the Trinity, the, the thrice great. Um, I kind of I feel like I've been breaking this down a little bit too much, but you have Brahm gives way to the three portions of the year, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, Shiva being winter, Brahma being um, spring, Vishnu being summer, right? Vishnu, Vish, Dag means fish, Dagon, Dagpo, Buddha, Jesus, right? So then in the, just to do. So Vishnu would be like Vishnu. So when we're talking about the bishops, the bishops of the church are the bishops. That's what basically gave me a career. Do you remember that first Crow episode I did? I broke down the etymology of Bishop and it involves Sears and all that stuff. And uh, that basically is what popped my sales. That one episode, people mind blown after that. And uh, so just to show you like what it would look like in the Greek system, you'd have that Kronos figure, but then it gives way. You have uh, Hades as hell or the sun in winter black. That's why all these gods at the reckoning of the year are black because it's the days are long. The nights are short. St. Thomas, Tammuz. You mean Thomas, the other way around. The days are short. The nights are long. 
Yes. Sorry. 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 So St. Thomas. Yeah. So the longest night and shortest day, St. Thomas day, St. Thomas gray, longest night, and shortest day. Then you'd have the springtime, which would be Poseidon, then the sun going into springtime. And then you'd have Zeus, the sun going into summer. Same with, uh, you could do it in, uh, the, the Roman world. They'd have Saturn giving way to Pluto, uh, hell, death, then you give way to spring, which would be Neptune, then give way to summer, which is uh, Jupiter. So all these things, it's the sun in the, it's all, if you look at it, the mythology, at least as far as this cult is concerned, if you look at like a giant clock, every degree of that clock, a different thing happens in nature, a different thing happens in the sky, and they're encoding these stories to keep track of what happens at those time of year. And it can be really confusing, but once you, that's why you have to learn astrology. Once you learn astrology, it's not as confusing anymore. I love it. Shall I continue? Yeah, man. Fire away. All right. So then we have the bull of indiction uh, of the sacred ecumenical representing a number of different Christian churches and general council of Trent under the sovereign pontiff, Paul III. And that's the crown of the ecclesiastical see, that which made the triple crown of Baal thrice great. So uh, it was written uh, by Flemish monk Louis de Blas, and he gave this at Rome at St. Peter's, June 12th in 1542. And by this time, the church had lost much of its influence, but it was their way of trying to remedy all the evils of the Christian commonwealth and consolidate power. And like one of the quotes, from it would be, whereas we deemed it necessary that there should be one fold and one shepherd for the Lord's flock in order to confirm the integrity of the Christian religion. So it's basically them trying to save face, because if you look at the history in that time, everybody was like that to the Pope. The Venetians didn't give a shit. They, they don't recognize, you know, and you can only kill so many people who, you know, tell the Pope and, the, and don't, rec- you know, like they, it was easy for them to kill the Knights Templar. Like the Venetians are a different story. They're, they're, they're a sovereign power. Um, so what this all goes into is what we have. Uh, actually, let me, let me read this quote from a gentleman named Michael Edward. And it's from the U.S. Constitution gave legal ownership and control of the United States to London. And he quote, and he said, and I quote, or wrote, neither the American people nor the Queen of Britain own America. The Crown Temple owns America through the deception of those who have sworn their allegiance by oath to the middle Templar bar. The crown bankers and their middle Templar attorneys rule America through unlawful contracts, unlawful taxes and contract documents of false equity through debt, deceit, all strictly enforced by their completely unlawful, but legal orders, rules and codes of the crown temple courts are judiciary in America. This is because the crown temple holds the land titles and estate deeds to all of North America. And for those who aren't aware, the crown temple is in the city of London. It's this tiny little thing that is running the show over there. And like people like the queen and stuff, they have to get permission before they can even go into that area. It's not to be confused with the actual physical city of London. It's just like DC. It's a legal fiction. Um, And the reason that is significant is People don't realize that we don't have common law in America. We don't have lawyers. We have bar licensed attorneys. You don't have a trial by jury. 
You have a trial with jury. The judge can ignore the outcome. So this this whole thing is a sh- giant charade that just keeps up to the to fool people so they don't realize they're under martial law, which is emergency rule, which is it, in, in, it's built into the cake that the Constitution is suspended. And in order for martial law to end, a formal peace treaty has to be drawn up. And no formal peace treaty uh, exists abrogating the martial law that was declared in 1862 prior to the Civil War. That's how back, far back, like they've got us by the balls for a really long time. And that's what's going on. So when you're ready, oh, go ahead. Jump yeah, a couple of things. Uh, you know, first of all, where do judges come from? <laughs> like, where's the judge school? You know, I've never heard of someone like, yeah, I'm going to college to become a judge. Like, where do you even do that? It's very, but I don't know. To me, that's very mysterious. I guess I never like looked into it, but that's kind of more of a joke. I'm also wondering. Well, just, if- well, just for the audience, though, that's where. So that word Templar, that is where that comes from. That was the part of that was dedicated to the part of the clergy that did that. The Templars, they were responsible for all that stuff, the judicial stuff. So that's where it originally is created. Yeah, and you know when I uh, when I looked up the word order. Uh, there were many interesting definitions to the word order, one of which was the Knights Templar are one of the central orders, the original orders of secret societies, but it also talked about the nine heavenly realms, the nine heavenly echelons, and it talked about the nine uh, 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 justices of the Supreme Court. Um, And I just find it quite uh, fascinating that, you know, all of these Ancient systems and modern systems have that uh, dependency on the nine. Gabe, and that nine, it goes back to the Ariopagus in Greek. It's the nine archons. That's what yes. the Supreme is, is uh, modeled after. And, and for the audience's benefit, Adios is Ares. But back then, it was the god of war, the sun, because it comes from Egypt. That, that specific name, Ares. But then they switched it around with Latin, so now Ares means ram. But it's still encoding the Rama, even though it means like a male, like a ram, like a male sheep or whatever. Nice. Wild. You know, what? what's bar when you read it like Hebrew, guys? Rab. Son. Rab? Son. Rab. Bar. <laughs> bar. If you just, yeah, or ra- well, yeah, rabbi, teacher, but like just bar. You know, bar and ben are the same word, means son. No, I was just getting at the whole rab, bar. Oh. <laughs> you know, if you invert it, but you know, back to that quote, what was the guy who wrote that? that his name is, his name is Michael Edward. Yeah. That it, was a really good quote. I would, I wouldn't mind if you could break down some of the terminology or some of the, you know, meaning behind the quote for, you know, people that this isn't something that they're versed in legalese and some of these vocabulary words like equity. Yeah, that like so basically they own everything that's valuable. Like everything so what they've done with this system is they've created uh they've created a system of where it's like you like those who really thrive in it, they own nothing but they control everything through trusts. And so when like if you like your house chance, if you bought your house in your name, um anyone can look you up. And find out where you live because that's all public information. 
when your house is owned in a trust, you are not the owner of it. So your name is not going to be associated anywhere near it. You don't own anything. So if anything ever happens with you, your business, you put your business in the trust, right? People can't sue you because they don't like something you did and try to get a claim on your property because it's all belonging to a trust and the beneficiary, you know what I mean? So they can't, it's not yours. Like when I worked in financial services, we used to give people like something called a variable universal life insurance policy. And what it is, is you pay into this life insurance. But the difference between that and like term, for example, is term, you have to die by a certain date. And I know this is like a long winded, but what I'm trying to show you is the way this system works. So by you paying into this, like say you have a million dollar policy, you then at some point in your life can start borrowing from it. And because it's a loan, it's tax free. And so if you don't pay it back, then that's just what won't go to your beneficiary. So you could just take the whole thing, never pay it back. And then your beneficiary gets nothing. And that's the whole point. But this is how you circumvent everything because you can't be sued for it because it belongs to your beneficiary, but you're in control of it. So this whole system is like that. If I were to try to explain it. So um, like the, the unlawful contracts and stuff, unlawful taxes. Well, they're not based on like when I was a realtor, you had like the first thing about contracts is they have to be. Uh, voluntary and they have to be like full disclosure. They can't be under duress. You can't be entered into a contract without your knowledge. And so that's what they're doing. If you look at like our system, it's statutes are not laws. And I'm going to get to this. I was going to get to this, but just to like on the fly, statutes are based in penal code, the root of which is penalty. And penalties are what one party pays or forfeits due to their inability to uphold their obligations in a contract. It's business. So they're basically saying with all this like capital diminution, this is what we're about to go into. They basically created a game and they forced everybody to enter into it because they've hijacked the commercial system. So in order to be in this system, you have to engage in commerce. Well, how can you live without engaging in commerce? You have to go back like, you have to live a very bizarre way that's not compatible with modern with modern standards of living. And some people are willing to do that. But the reality is they've created a system that in order to participate, you have to agree to all these contracts, but none of the contracts are in full disclosure. And so they're all void. So that's what he's saying. Unlawful uh, debts or do debt deceit. Right. And like you could go into looking at like a billing statement, for instance, it's a billing statement. It's not a bill. It's a statement. Just like um, in California that we used to have, I don't live there anymore, but they used to have those like uh, those, those red light cameras. And if you, it would take pictures of everybody. So like when you went through one or whatever, you'd get a picture of yourself in the mail yeah. with a fine. But here's the deal. It's not from the DMV. It's from a collection agency. It just looks official. So it was totally unconstitutional. But as long as people paid it, there's no like, there's no crime. It's like, well, you paid it. It's like a scammer. And totally. eventually they overturned and ruled as unconstitutional. And they had to get rid of them or stop having, you know, but they, they do all kinds of shit. And the best way to think of this is they assault you with contracts. And this system is all, like I said, through the papal bulls, it's all owned by the pontifical system. And they own that crown temple, if you will, the crown, Coronos. Corona, 
Right. You know, the, the, the mythology of Kronos eating his own children is so apt for this system you're talking about, especially when you describe the insurance policy, taking out loans against your own beneficiaries insurance policy for your life insurance, right? Like you're eating the inheritance of the father eating the inheritance of the child. And when you also just kind of across the board examine what's going on, it's a consistent theme of the energy of the future or of your children being stolen by the people of the present. If that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of what usury and interest and all that really is. Yeah. And think about this. Kronos, like you're seeing that this is the priests who, as you rightfully brought up, observe the stars. That's their job. Kronos, literally Kro, time, nos, gnosis, the knowledge of times, the knowledge of cycles. And they're the ones that have this. So this, it's, a, it's a serious system. But the problem is, is it's really difficult to expose because the majority of people in this country are, to some degree or another, religious. Well, even the, the, even the religion that is like the mythology of this nation, you know, nationalism is used as a religious hex as much as anything else. And not that I don't love this land and the people and want actual freedom for everybody. But my point being that just if you believe, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who believe that they're free. Yeah. And that's kind of why like our forefathers were like, really adamant about like, you have to stay vigilant. There is no letting up. You don't ever get to go uh, and let your hair down anymore because there's always going to be people trying to enslave you. And this is the cool, this is the thing that a lot of truthers can't uh, get across their head. They want to live in this idealistic world where people don't conquer each other. But the extent of your freedom is only going to be based on how well you can defend it from those who aggress upon it. And it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. If you don't have the means to protect yourself, eventually some immoral person who doesn't look at the world the same way you do, who doesn't recognize morality or anything else the same way you do, doesn't give a shit, is just going to come take what they want from you. And you have to either be able to defend it and stop them, or you're going to be, your property is going to be taken. You might be made a slave or even worse, you'll be killed. Or maybe being a slave is worse than being killed. I don't know. But This is the reality of the natural law. The natural world is brutal. It is survival of the fittest. And we live in a system. The the good thing about the system is it's allowed the most useless, soft, uh, non-productive people to thrive and beat evolution. And like people are getting like 500 pounds and they're still alive. They're still able to like total abominations of nature are still be able to live and thrive in this system. So that's the one thing that it does that's good, I guess, in a way for some people is a lot of us would not be alive if this system didn't exist to protect us from the natural world. Well, that's a good point because the origin of the system is actually rooted in that very thing where the non-productive, non-physically capable, you know, (laughs) these were the, the watchers or the priests, they would basically set up systems to trick the people who would do work into doing the work for them. And it just got more and more elaborate from there. Yeah. And that's one of the things that like Mark Passio harped on is like, that's, that's the way the system uh, absolves itself or circumvents that like those, those 
those consequences is they don't actually do the violations of natural law. They fool other people to do it. And so the other people are the ones that experience the consequences and the suffering that comes with breaking those natural laws, right? Like George Bush is not suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, but all those soldiers that went over there, look at how many of them kill each other or kill themselves every day. You know, you went over there and decided to kill for these dark occultists. Nobody put a gun to your head and said, join, right? So that's, you know, that's something that going back to this, why this is so significant for contracts and that uh, Michael Edward quote, I wonder if he's related to Rob Edward. Imagine that. Okay. So we've broken down the papal bulls that make the system thrice great, if you will. And these relate to the city of London, which is a legal fiction inside of the, the, place that we call London separate from it. And then Washington DC is a branch of it. And then the Vatican, Vatican city, those are the three legal entities that are independently nestled within other countries that sort of comprise also another aspect of this triple crown. Correct. And so now we're going to bring it back to Washington DC, right? Because this is capitis diminutio and or diminutio. So Washington, D.C., uh, with no constitutional authority, the District of Columbia was created. And in this book, I'll show you how Columbia is, in fact, Lucifer. But that's for another time. It's a state within a state. All of these things are. And it's got its own separate form of government. And this was done through the Act of 1871. A deal with the City of London Corporation, which is the Crown Temple, established by the Catholic Church. So let's let, let's make no mistakes. The City of London Corporation was established by the Catholic Church in 1855, which not only converted the U.S. into a corporation, this Act of 1871, but it put us into everlasting debt to the Pope. And the City of London, like I said, is not London. Just like Vatican City in Washington, D.C., the City of London is a city-state independent of the country it's in and with completely different laws. So what temporary freedom Americans thought they had in 1871 when their constitution uh, was the constitution for the United States of America, that ended because it was changed to the constitution of the United States of America in Capitis Diminutio Maxima, which is all capital letters. We'll get into that, where, what that means in Roman. But D.C. operates under private international law, not common law. The United States in Capitis Diminutio Maxima is a corporation governed under Roman civil law and maritime admiralty law. This ties into the divine right of kings and the law of the sea. But which sea? As I said, it's the Holy See. S-E-E and S-E-A are spelled exactly the same, depending on how far back you go in English history. Now, those papal bulls were necessary to, because the common law, we needed to observe them because the common law that Americans thought gave them freedom was actually a system of laws that made them willful slaves to the dark occultists of Rome. And it's in the word common, which comes from commito, meaning commit, begin, engage, forfeit, incur, plus muni, which means performing services, receiver of duties, as in communis, having munia, duties, offices, or 
privileges with others or munis, someone accomplishing a task. And the reason this matters is because privileges are not rights. And so if you engage, commit, or incur burdens, obligations, services, etc., what are you? You're a servant. And if you're not aware of the service you are being made to engage in, then what are you? A slave. You guys want to jump in before I continue? I love this. Everything is, yeah. Uh, this is the fundamental problem that's uh, been in play for this long. It's so fascinating how long ago uh, it was put in play and how uh, solidly uh, we've actually got a beeline on, uh, you know, what needs to be fixed. Uh, this is great, man. Keep laying it down. Awesome. And uh, Decoded asked if we sign our name or allow them to call you by your name and ID without, you know, denying it through time. Oh, he was talking to Stacey, but it's just something to offer people. Uh, I sign all everything dot, dot, dot VC and you blend it in with your signature. And at the very least, that shows that you're under duress or by way of com- um, uh, coercion, which would yeah. negate the contract. And I'm not saying it's legally binding, but when you have... Uh, when they, if they were trying to assault you with showing you how you signed your names and agreed to all these contracts, if you could show that and look at, oh, do you not see that dot, dot, dot? That means I'm under duress. And it's known that that means I'm under duress. Do you see that yeah. VC? That, no, that means I'm under duress. We go act this. Like there's all kinds of uh, little tricks you can do that aren't going to, aren't going to like make or break anything. This is not legal advice, but they are setting a precedent for if you are ever called to before anybody to say you agreed to this shit, you can say, no, I didn't. You forced me. See? Oh, do you not see that here, here, here? And then like, oh, shit, he is under duress. So then it's something that has to be acknowledged. That being said, let's go back to capitalist diminutio. Uh, it's the diminishing of status through the use of capitalization. And there are three types. The highest, most severe and comprehensive loss of status is called capitalist diminutio maxima which is when a man's condition is changed from freedom to bondage or a slave. It's swept away all rights of citizenship and all family rights. Now, some people might say, well, Roman letters are in all capitals, capital letters anyway. I'm not saying that this goes back to Rome. I'm saying the system is based on that Roman concept, even though it does go back to Rome, literally, but it might not. It's like this part of it is not as old as the, ancient world, even though conceptually it is. Beneath this would be capitis diminutio media, uh, where the man has lost his rights of citizenship, but not of quote-unquote liberty. He does lose family rights. And then there's the lowest form or least comprehensive degree of uh, loss of status, which is capitis diminutio minima, where a man's family relations alone were changed, but it left the rights of liberty and citizenship unaltered. Now, this is seen in like for anybody who's watching this, this is seen in the way your uh, name is spelled on any type of document that is related to the commercial system. So your license, bank cards, uh, look at how your tax, uh, your accountants or whatever address you and like official letters and all that stuff. You'll see your name is in a form of all either like it's all capital letters. That's going to be Capitus Diminutio Maxima. Uh, the way we currently write our letters, it's uh, that would be the media one, which would be like the first letter is capitalized, but then the rest is uncapitalized. And then the lowest would be all uncapital uh, 
letters. Now, here's just a few examples. We're going to cite some um, legal cases that sh- in the world of commerce, what they deem to be a person. You can look this up. Church of Scientology versus the U.S. Department of Justice. A person is quoted as being a variety of entities other than human beings. In Will versus Michigan State Police, a person is defined as, in common usage, the term person does not include the sovereign, and statutes employing the word are normally construed to exclude it. And then, um, wow. yeah, in another case, uh, it, it's, refer, uh, it's defined as a sovereign is not a person in a legal sense. So when you see that, oh, it's the people, the whole people, you know, with all that shit, that's all corporate stuff now. Wow. And that's why they don't let you cite these old cases because yeah. I forget who it was. Someone on uh, Crow 777, one of those legal guys was saying like, they literally don't let you cite cases beyond like the middle of like the 19th, oh, sorry, 20th century now. But you need all those old cases that, you know, prove the point that what they're doing that expose them. And so you can't even use that or admit that into court anymore. So my, this, the point of this is not to get people to fight the system. It's to get people to be aware of it so they're not entering into it as much. Yes, yes. And, you know, uh, that first one with the Scientology, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty groundbreaking, too. Yeah, that was 1979. So that one could be admissible. A variety of entities other than human beings. What the fuck? But that's when you see, like, corporations are persons. Right. One of the uh, definitions from Webster's 1828 of person is character of office. (laughs) (laughs) Anything Anything but blood and flesh, you know, anything but a living man or woman. Right. So now I'd like to read you guys a quote. Uh, This gentleman inspired a lot of our founding fathers and his name is Sir William Blackstone. You've probably heard of him. Commentaries on the Law of England in four books. This is from volume one, written in 1765. And this is showing, yeah. this is showing what the church did, right? With these, with these sneaky little priests. He said, yet still it was found difficult to set bounds to ecclesiastical ingenuity. For when they were driven out of their former holds, they devised a new method of conveyance by which the lands were granted, not to themselves directly, but to nominal fees to the use of the religious houses, thus distinguishing between the possession and the use and receiving the actual profits while the season, which is the possession of the lands, remained in the nominal fees. Who was held by the courts of equity then under the direction of the clergy to be bound in conscience to account to his sestique use for rents and emoluments of the estate. And it is to these inventions that our practicers are indebted for the introduction of uses and trusts, the foundation of modern conveyancing. But unfortunately for the inventors themselves, they did not long enjoy the advantage of their new device for the statute uh, 15 Rick 2 C5 enacts that the lands which had been so purchased to uses should be amortized by license from the crown or else be sold to private persons and that for the future uses shall be subject to the statutes of Mortmain and forfeitable like the lands themselves. 
And whereas the statutes had been eluded by purchasing large tracts of land adjoining to the churches and consecrating them by the name of the churchyards, such subtle imagination is also declared to be within the compass of the statutes of Mortmain and civil or lay corporations, as well as ecclesiastical, are also declared to be within the mischief and, of course, within the remedy provided by those salutary laws. That's a lot. Yeah, you're going to put that into common speech, right? Because <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of words in there go, that, yeah. you know, if you go back to words that we use all the time, like purchase, purchase, one of the meanings of purchase is to conquer, you know, any means of taking something not that is not hereditary or by descent would be purchased. So yes, you could trade money for it or like, again, back to Webster's 1828, that which is obtained by labor, danger, art, etc. And then you have to go in like, what does it mean? Art. Art doesn't mean what you think it means necessarily either. Art is actually technology. <laughs> and then uh, formally, it also means robbery and the thing stolen. So purchase has a lot of meanings. There's more than just that, but that's just one of the words in, in there that, you know, you kind of need a more rounded understanding than how we would in common vernacular say these things. So basically let's like people need to replay that, share that, whatever, clip that and study that as much as they can and look up everything on their own. Cause it's like a whole nother episode in itself, but just to show you, it's what I've been telling people with the feudalism and stuff before this system, you used to convey land, um, through livery of Sazen. So like I said, I think on the last time I talked to you, where you would literally, when you were transferring property, you would cut a chunk of the land. You would hand that to somebody with a branch from the property. And if there was a, a like an edifice, you would give them the key or you would give them some token and you would do it in front of the community. So there's a bunch of witnesses that now show you transferring that property. And this is how people did that in Britain for as far back as you can see. Until this system comes and this system deprives people because now it's all based on these titles and deeds and all this other shit. And if you can't produce that, those documents, they don't recognize your right to own it. And that's how they move you off the land. And this is goes back to what I was saying to people. It is not idealistic. Nature is not idealistic and people are never going to be this moral enlightened race of people that doesn't do this shit and steal from others. It's just conquer or be conquered. Unfortunately, that's the way it's always been. I'm not saying it will always be that way, but this is why America has the second amendment and every person and the way this country was formed has an obligation to be the militia. It's the whole populace, the whole people before people was turned into a, a corporation. So you were, had the responsibility of defending your local area from foreign and domestic threats. And that's what you need. And that's why they want to get rid of our Second Amendment. And it's to make us uh, vulnerable to this type of shit because they've done it before. They'll do it again. And that's why they hate America so much. So let's go into what a CQV is or says the KV Trust. I uh, call can it. We, can we actually. Can we backpedal about to that quote, that long quote you read a little more? Uh, if I understood it correctly, it was referring to uh, the per, the church owning property, right? Like uh, mon monastical, like monastery style. Yes, it goes back to everything. The monks, right? 
Frank Almoine, Almoine, sorry, right? Lamoine, it's the monks. And who are the monks? I just told you at the beginning, they're the Therapeuti. That this ecclesiastical system was already in place. A, a bishop for every church before Christianity was even invented comes from Egypt. It's observable. And if you're not listening to perverts and degenerates invert history on you, you'll see how the Therapeuti become the Christians. Not the other way around. Christianity wasn't this like amazing. The church wasn't this amazing institution that got corrupted. It was corrupted from the beginning. And so this is how they own everything based on the religious case going all the way back to India, declaring ownership of the the land, the souls and the property. And then also um, this idea that they have a divine right to rule based on being descendants of all these fictitious biblical characters, which never existed. So that's why I had to go into spirit world and get into this religious stuff, because it's all about defeating the presumption. There's no such thing as a Semite. There's no, there's no Shem. There's no Noah. There's no Moses. None of them. Not a single one of them. Jesus, Socrates, Pythagoras, Muhammad, not one work left behind. Furthermore, not one document, not one original anything pertaining to the Gospels exists prior to the uh, 6th century. It's all crucifixion. Crucifixion. I mean, it really is. It really is like, and the thing is, this is why this, this is the beauty of the system, how dark it is. Is they, uh, sorry, my, I almost said doc, you know, the Massachusetts accent's coming out a little bit. Uh, dark it is. Uh, They've gotten everybody to invest in all these religious stories. And so they will never turn against their religion to expose this system of slavery. And it's with every institution. And that's why it's important to expose the mythology and stuff. That's why I had to do the series the way I had to do it. Because if you don't defeat those presumptions, then this, uh, all the royalty, especially in Britain, claiming to be from Japet, all the people in freaking uh, Islam claiming to be descendants of Japet. You know, enslaving black people because they're saying, oh, you're descendants of Ham. And uh, that means, uh, you know, Noah cursed Ham to slavery and his prodigy to slavery. So you're all black and that means black. So we get to enslave you. And it's biblical. And when you can defeat these presumptions, you see how vicious it really is. And that's what's bringing me to book six, which I show what the Inquisition did to the Americas. And that will make your stomach turn. Like reading about this shit literally makes me nauseous when I see, uh, you know, even though nobody's innocent, I see there's the, the wickedness that human beings have done to each other throughout history. It's hard to look at it and not be like utterly revolted. But, hey, we've got to get through it. We've got to confront it. And once we can, you know, confront it, everybody will be well. We can abrogate it. Right. And there's nothing that has inspired more wickedness than religious fervor. Yeah. Nobody's killed more Christians than fucking Christians. Why don't you look up St. Bartholomew's massacre for those who want to see like, you know, what Christians have done to Christians based on just different interpretations of forgery, nonsensical fake scripture. I mean, that name Bartholomew has all the same letters of uh, Brith Mila in his name, that's no coincidence whatsoever. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, and also abrogating 
this <laughs> religious government, never was there actually a separation between church and state. Uh, I think helping people break the religious hexes on themselves will also actually bring out what is valuable from the traditions and the systems. In what ways there are actually valuable moralities to be had, in uh, what ways we can see the hand of the creator in our nature by understanding and, and like knowing nature for what it is instead of through the veil of mysticism that makes reality seem unreal because it doesn't conform to these mythological religious frameworks that people have in their mind. Like, I think that this, what we're talking about right now, that human beings have been bred for generations to believe fiction as reality is why you see such a popularity in doctrines like simulation theory and dumbass sci-fi narratives that people want so badly to believe is actually the world they live in because of how, I don't know how much cuties flicks they watch or something. Yeah. And look at all, just look at the people who put out this like simulation. Oh, he's ugly. Honestly, dude, if somebody's not living the life you fantasize about, don't listen to their worldview, including myself. Right. But a lot of these people, you look at them and they are absolute abomination, sorry excuses for the divinity of man. And that's why they're constantly manifesting this shit. Uh, (laughs) They're abominations. I'll tell you, my name is Dylan Sikosio. You can find me anywhere you want. All you pushing that simulation garbage, you're abominations. I couldn't agree more, man. And what you said, too, is absolutely the way that I do business as well in terms of like what what I let my intuition lead me to check out is entirely, you know, the, the messenger does matter. We've yeah. I think it was the like ugly uh, gamma male priests of the ancient world that inculcated this belief of like, oh, it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. <laughs> Yeah, he gave a great sermon. You know, it's too bad that he diddled uh, three of the kids, you know, after church. But, you know, we'll look past that because it's good for the community to have a strong spiritual leader. And you you should you should consider the health, the vitality, the aura, the vibrance and the the life of the individual that you're taking choosing to, uh, you know, taking information from. And if you have to, like, defend your the the person purveying the information <laughs> and you, you get all religious about it. Like I see happening with certain simulation theory pushers, whenever they're criticized, people come out of the woodworks like, Joe, just give him a chance. He was framed. <laughs> yeah. We have a descendant of John Proctor who was hanged after the Salem witch trials for witchcraft by the, the religious zealots, right? They hang everybody that doesn't agree with them. Anyhow, you ready to get on to the uh, Sesta KV Trust and other stuff? Keep going? Yeah, I think we can keep going here. So the Sesta KV Trust, um, you stopped me, but basically it's a temporary testamentary trust based on presumption, uh, wherein the beneficiary uh, of the CQV is entitled to receive rents, payments, and profits of the land and or estate. Now, the beneficiary may appoint someone as a trustee because the trustee and beneficiary cannot serve two positions in a single trust. A trustee cannot also be a beneficiary. 
The beneficiary may direct rents and profits of the land as he shall choose consistent with the trusts or the trust and the trustee is bound to execute them. And so what you see a lot in this legal world is how people are recognizing that, oh, the judge is trying to trick you to be the trustee. So then he as the beneficiary can dictate what you need to pay. Right. So go into all that legal stuff for better. You know, there's a lot better people that are actually fighting that in the system. I don't do that. My, my goal is just to make people aware of the system so they could avoid it. Now, the original purpose, though, isn't as bad as you'd think. Uh, it was the, C, the CQV was uh, originally um, to form a temporary estate for the benefit of another due to an event or a state of affairs or a condition such as someone being lost at sea or otherwise, and thus assumed dead after seven years, which prevents the person from claiming its status as living, competent, and present. Additional statutory presumptions were added to deal with the simultaneous deaths, uh, minors, incompetence, private companies, mortgages, and bankrupts. So since 1933, when a child is born in the United States, that's all capital, the corporation, three KV trusts are created under presumptions. The person or the corporation on the birth certificate is a slave to Rome under this black magic. And they do this through your driver's license, your social security account number, your marriage license certificate, your bank account, and all other means by which you engage in commerce. So, and it, to be clear, it's the person as in the legal fiction with the all caps name that is the slave. Yes. The living man is not the slave. And that's also part of this weird magic that circumvents the natural law consequences of slavery in the first place, I think. Yeah. And that first trust that that says the KV trust denies you the rights to real property, because as long as you're operating under that trust, they own it. You don't own it. It looks like your name, but it's not you. And so they're tricking you to pay on behalf of it and be liable for everything it does in the commercial world. But that's what they have jurisdiction over. So the second uh, CQV trust is the live birth record. And that's where they imprint. They used to. I don't know if they're still doing this, but, you know, in the old days, you could see like they would imprint the baby's foot in ink and impress it upon the contract. And so this now, is a what, what's the bottom of your foot called? The soul. <laughs> right. So the first step that you take is on the paper. See, you're walking on water before you ever step foot on the ground. Damn. I like that. And you know, you know uh, just a fun weave that we had uh, in the past month was that birth and tribe are uh, anagrams for each other. Oh, so, no shit. Yeah. So your birth certificate is almost like your tribe, your tribe certificate. Interestingly uh, enough, that birth, you know, someone mentioned it in the chat earlier, but I didn't want to slow it up. But since you brought it up, a ship sits in its birth, B-R-B-E-R-T-H. Yes. But I got another one for you, because if you spell out uh, Brit, it's also a covenant in Hebrew. It would look right. like Bereth, but it's, spelled, it's pronounced Brit. So uh, is there anything to that? It might be anecdotal. File it away. Put it on the back burner. I'm not going to make a claim on that one, but I, I wouldn't like be surprised because it, it kind of is like a covenant. Well, I think some of the language syncs like that might just be coming from the actual thing that we call the logos, the real divine intelligence creator energy in the realm. Like constantly trying to nudge and wink us like, hey, did you know this is what you're doing? We're try I'm trying to show you something here. Uh, pay attention, <laughs> you know, because the truth, the, the thing about the truth is it literally cannot be hidden. 
Correct. The truth is what it, the truth is always present. It has to be. It's the nature of reality. Like that's something to comprehend about natural law is no matter what the truth about you, your being, how you're doing in the moment, what's going on with your body, whether you look at the holographic information in your blood and see the shape of a kidney because you have a kidney issue or whether you understand the emotional intelligence of, you know, what part of your body just got injured and what that means for your inner state that you're ignoring like that, like on those personal levels, it's true, but also on all levels of the reality, the truth is always in the, in your immediate environment, somewhere within the reach of your consciousness or perception. And part of, I think, getting humanity so focused on fiction on multiple dimensions of fiction, whether it's entertainments or, you know, how they identify who they are, what they, who they think they are, et cetera, I think is because you need a constant assault of chaos, confusion, and distraction to keep people from seeing the truth right in front of their eyes at all times. It's always right under your nose. Yeah. And, uh, someone in the comments, uh, I think test one, it's all done on bond paper. So as to bond a demon, I don't know about the demon claim. Wouldn't be surprised, but the bond thing is significant and people have exposed that as well. This live birth, birth record, it's a promissory note that is converted into a bond and sold or transferred to the private central bank of the nation, which in America's case now is the Federal Reserve, which is run through the Crown Temple in the city of London, which was established by the Catholic Church and run by the Vatican. Um, the third KV trust is created when parents pass the title to the baby's soul, which would be the baptism certificate. And that's to the Roman cult as ecclesiastical property managed by the bar. So these three crowns, again, of bail, this triple crown, they're the three claims upon all real property, all personal property, and all ecclesiastical property, which is everything on earth, all bodies, and all souls. And now we can bring it up into the 20th century where this really kicks into high gear uh, in 1933. So what happened was on March 9th, 1933, a House Joint Resolution uh, number 192-10 was voted into law. The resolution is the Emergency Banking Relief Act. This amended the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, whereby enemy was defined as other than citizens of the United States, to now define the enemy as any person within the United States. Do you want me to repeat that again? Or do we get, do we see the significance how a person was later defined as a variety of entities other than human beings in 1979 and not a sovereign in a legal sense? Oh, now, say it again for the kids in the back. You, this, this, this is serious. This Emergency Banking Relief Act of 1933, anyone can go look it up. It amended the trading of the, en trading with the enemy act of 1917. In the old one, it was, it defined an enemy as quote, other than citizens of the United States. To now, it defines the enemy as, quote, any person within the United States. So all corporations within the United States is now an enemy. And so the Emergency Banking Relief Act officially, through sorcery, put an end to America's gold standard and even threatened punishment for Americans who did not turn in their gold. And the act hypothecated all property in the United States to the sorcerers who control the Federal Reserve Bank. It also amends the Federal Reserve Act with a new subsection that states um, that, uh, hold on a second. 
this, the, what they did with the gold. So I don't think anybody was ever formally rounded up. Right. And put Gabriel, look up enemy in the black's law dictionary and go ahead. While continue. He, while, while he does that, it's all voluntary. It's just like what they're doing with the Wuhan wiggle and the roll up your sleevers. They are now saying, Oh, well, we didn't force you. We didn't, we didn't, you know, you did it yourself. It's not our fault. You know, it's like, no, you threatened everybody's jobs. You, you know, were aggressive to them. You threatened to fire them. You know, people got fired for, you know what I mean? Like everybody has been discriminated. People have destroyed lives, families, you name it, destroyed the economy, everything. And they're going to hide behind the fact that, oh, well, you chose to do this. We didn't make you. So it's just the same thing with the Emergency Banking Relief Act. They offered to give you paper money for your gold. And then that's what they, um, they gave you paper money. And then they jacked the price up. At the time, I think gold was like $20 an ounce or something like that. And now it's, then they jacked it up to like $35 an ounce or whatever. So they basically th- stole the purchasing power of everybody's wealth and gave them paper money. Totally. I, I often think of the um, Huck Finn and how he tricked that other kid into doing the work for him. And not only did the other kid do the work for him, but the other kid paid Huck Finn to give him the privilege to paint the, the fence for him uh, when he tricked the apple out of the other kid. Uh, it's kind of like a metaphor for what happened when they took us off the gold standard. It's like they're uh, pissing on us and telling us it's uh, <laughs> telling us it's raining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I got into me here. One who opposes or inflicts injury on another, an antagonist. Uh, two, an opposing military force. Three, a state with which another state is at war. Four, a person possessing the nationality of the state with which one is at war. Five, a foreign state that is openly hostile to another whose position is being considered. I wonder why it doesn't say uh, persons in the United States. There's more. There's a public enemy. Let's see. A public enemy is a notorious criminal who is a menace to society, especially one who seems more or less immune from successful prosecution. Two enemy, three, a social, health, or economic condition or problem that affects the public at large and is difficult to control. Wow. They include the social condition. All right. Well, so this is going to play. So that's how they're able to declare war on cooties or something like that. You know? Yeah. Um, The fact that we're technically all still under emergency law because nothing has abrogated the commercial conflict known as the civil war. Totally. So the constitution doesn't matter. It's all, it's all show trials and stuff now. And so the emergency banking relief act officially, Oh, I already said that. Uh, where was I? Oh, so basically what it did, um, it all in, it also amended the federal reserve act with a new subsection. And so the public debt was converted into a public trust based on ancient Roman trust aforementioned the sovereigns under the blackest of all magic became collateral for the public debt, along with their labor, their property, their souls, their credit, their sons and daughters, and their bodies. And that's the that's why they can just keep, you know, 
racking up the debt because we have been made the collateral. There is no more uh, collateral to give these people for our insolvencies. And this is what happened in 1933. It's a giant uh, bankruptcy proceeding. And so for that, this is the speech that I really wanted to read because I've never heard anybody say it succinctly. So I'd like to just get through the speech first because it'll be a great clip if people want to clip it. And it's it's an honor to James Trafficant Jr. from Ohio. And he's he's a legend. He's a, he's one of the best patriots we have in this country. And so what he said on March 17th, 1993, uh, addressing the say house, you're starting this at one hour, 19 minutes in 9-11. <laughs> oh, geez. Don't get me going on that. Squirt, 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 squirt. Anyways, in honor of James Trafficking, this is what he said. Mr. Speaker, we are here now in Chapter 11. Members of Congress are official trustees presiding over the greatest reorganization of any bankrupt entity in world history, the U.S. government. We are setting forth, hopefully, a blueprint for our future. There are some who say it's a coroner's report that will lead to our demise. It is established fact that the United States federal government has been dissolved by the Emergency Banking Act, March 9th, 1933, declared by President Roosevelt being bankrupt and insolvent. Um, this was uh, in uh, Joint Congress in uh, 73rd Congress in session, June 5th, 1933, joint resolution to suspend the gold standard and abrogate the gold clause. And that dissolved the sovereign authority of the United States and the official capacities of all United States government offices officers, and departments, and is further evidence that the United States federal government exists today in name only. The receivers of the United States bankruptcy are the international bankers via the United Nations, the World Bank, and the International Monetary Fund. All United States offices, officials, and departments are now operating with a de facto status in name only under emergency war powers, which is martial law. With the constitutional Republican form of government now dissolved, the receivers of the bankruptcy have adopted a new form of government for the United States. This new form of government is known as a democracy, being an established socialist communist order under a new governor for America. This act was instituted and established by transferring and or placing the office of Secretary of Treasury to that of the governor of the International Monetary Fund. Gold and silver were such a powerful money during the founding of the United States of America that the founding fathers declared that only gold or silver coins can be money in America. Since gold and silver coinage were heavy and inconvenient for a lot of transactions, they were stored in banks and a claim check was issued as a money substitute. People traded their coupons as money or currency. Currency is not money, but a money substitute. Redeemable currency must promise to pay a dollar equivalent in gold or silver money. Federal Reserve notes make no such promises and are not money. The federal United States government and the United States Congress were not and have never been authorized by the Constitution for the United States of America to issue currency of any kind, but only lawful money, gold and silver coin. It is essential that we comprehend the substitute. One cannot get rich by accumulating money substitutes. One can only go deeper into debt. We, the people, no longer have any money. Most Americans have not been paid in money for a very long time, perhaps not in their entire life. Now do you comprehend why you feel broke? 
Now do you understand why you are bankrupt along with the rest of the country? Federal Reserve notes are unsigned checks written on a closed account. Federal Reserve notes are an inflatable paper system designed to create debt through inflation, which is the devaluation of currency. Whenever there is an increase of the money supply of a money substitute in the economy without corresponding increase in the gold and silver backing, inflation occurs. Inflation is an invisible form of taxation that irresponsible governments inflict on their citizens. The Federal Reserve Bank, who controls the supply and movement of Federal Reserve notes, has everybody fooled. They have access to an unlimited supply of Federal Reserve notes, paying only for the printed costs of what they need. Federal Reserve notes are nothing more than promissory notes for the U.S. Treasury Securities, T-bills, a promise to pay the debt of the Federal Reserve Bank. There is a fundamental difference between paying and discharging a debt. To pay a debt, you must with pay, pay with value or substance, i.e. gold, silver, barter, or a commodity. With Federal Reserve notes, you can only discharge a debt. You cannot pay a debt with a debt currency system. You cannot service a debt with a currency that has no backing in value or substance. No contract in common law is valid unless it involves an exchange of good and valuable consideration. Unpayable debt transfers power and control to the sovereign power structure that has no interest in money, law, equity, or justice because they have so much wealth already. Their lust is for power and control. Since the inception of central banking, they have controlled the fates of nations. The Federal Reserve System is based on canon law, and their principles of sovereignty protected the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. In fact, the international bankers used a canon law trust as their model, adding stock and naming it a joint stock trust. The U.S. Congress has passed a law making it illegal for any person to duplicate a joint stock trust in 1873. The Federal Reserve Act was legislated post facto to 1870, although past post facto laws are strictly forbidden by the Constitution. The United Federal Reserve System, or sorry, the Federal Reserve System is a sovereign power structure separate and distinct from the federal United States government. The Federal Reserve is a maritime lender and or maritime insurance underwriter to the federal United States operating exclusively under Admiralty Maritime Law. The lender or underwriter bears the risks. The maritime law compelling specific performance in paying the interest or premiums are the same. Assets of the debtor can also be hypothecated, which is to pledge something as a security without taking possession of it, as a security by the lender or underwriter. The Federal Reserve Act stipulated that the interest on the debt was to be paid in gold. There was no stipulation in the Federal Reserve Act forever paying the principal. Prior to 1913, most Americans owned clear, allodial title to property, free and clear of any liens or mortgages until the Federal Reserve Act, 1913, hypothecated all property within the federal United States to the board of governors of the federal reserve in which the trustees stockholders held legal title. The U S citizen, which is a tenant or franchisee was registered as a beneficiary of the trust via his or her birth certificate. In 1933, the federal United States hypothecated all of the present and future properties, assets, and labor of their subjects 
the 14th Amendment U.S. citizen to the Federal Reserve System. In return, the Federal Reserve System agreed to extend the Federal United States Corporation all the credit money substitute it needed. Like any other debtor, the Federal United States government had to assign collateral and security to their creditors as condition of the loan. Since the Federal United States didn't have any assets, they signed the property, the private property of their economic slaves, the U.S. citizens, as collateral against the unpayable federal debt. They also pledged the unincorporated federal territories, national parks, forests, that's a big one, all of our national parks, forests, birth certificates, and nonprofit organizations as collateral against the federal debt. All has already been transferred as payment to the international bankers. Unwittingly, America has returned to its pre-American revolution feudal roots whereby all land is held by a sovereign and the common people had no rights to hold a lodial title to property. Once again, we the people are tenants and sharecroppers renting our own property from the sovereign in the guise of the Federal Reserve Banks. We the people have exchanged one master for another. This has been going on for over 80 years without the informed knowledge of the American people, without a voice protesting loud enough. Now it's easy to grasp why America is fundamentally bankrupt. Why don't more people own their properties outright? Why are 90% of Americans mortgaged to the hilt and have little or no assets after all debts and liabilities have been paid? Why does it feel like you are working harder and harder and getting less and less? We are reaping what has been sown. And the results of our harvest is a painful bankruptcy and a foreclosure on American property, precious liberties, and a way of life. Few of our elected representatives in Washington, D.C. have dared to tell the truth. The Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal United States is bankrupt. Our children will will inherit this unpayable debt and the tyranny to enforce paying it. America has become completely bankrupt in world leadership, financial credit, and its reputation for courage, vision, and human rights. And this is an undeclared economic war, bankruptcy, and economic slavery of the most corrupt order. Here, here. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. Hallelujah. And unfortunately, you know, he just, died like, by a tractor falling on him. Oh, shit. Okay, so that word yeah. hypothecate, you know, the land, the birth certificates, the everything is hypothecated, right? That is a pledge. Originally referring to, okay, I'm just going to read the, read it here. Hypothecate uh, to pledge and properly to pledge the keel of a ship. That is the ship itself as security for the repayment of money borrowed to carry on a voyage. So basically the keel of the ship is the wood and timber, the actual material of the ship. So to be like hypothecated our very flesh and blood bodies are pledged in this system. It's beyond just a, a legal fiction at that point when you use that word. And Chance, think about this. That hull is also the nave, right? The navel. So the nave of the church is like that almond, that vesica species. But also this is where navis comes from. Hebrew prophet, uh, Latin, it's going to be a boat. That's where navigator comes from, navigation. So this is for anybody to say that this is not related. They're absolutely ignorant of language, symbolism, and the system itself and where it originates. Gabriel, you want to weigh in on on that amazing speech right there? I agree. Uh, It really does boggle the mind, the consistency of the uh, 
this language that is the law and how it is immediately uh, infused with uh, navigation of the sea and uh, the stars, uh, you know, uh, nautical aspects, you know, uh, even like approach the bar, you know, uh, it's obviously it's the sandbar, but it's also um, the bear star is, uh, you know, getting your reckoning, your crowning, your orienting, your thoughts, you know, facing the right direction. Uh, you just made me have this sink, Gabe. Yeah. Bar is sun. Approach the son of God. Right, right. For your judgment. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the, uh, the, what is a uh, city of London, they call them the Inns of Court. And the Inns of Court is a weird word. You know, it actually means the beginning or the source or, you know, the wellspring. Uh, but they call it the Inns. Yeah, and people need to go look these guys up. It's wild. When you see the religious ceremonies and the way they dress and stuff, it is like nothing you've ever seen. The Maybe City of London guys? Yeah, the, yeah, the Inns of Court, yep. But I'm like the Energizer Bunnies, guys. When you want me to keep going, I'm we'll start talking about the roles of a, an express trust. You just let me know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got kind of sidetracked just thinking about it. Hypothic, that we're hypothecated and we ought to keelhaul these guys that have pledged our keels. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, matey, make them walk the plank. That's a word to look up. Uh, keel hall. I think somebody out there deserves that. Yeah. And also all their rituals, like you were saying, Dylan, their rituals are so, you know, juvenile and like strictly theatrical and, you know, doesn't really uh, have any foundation in, you know, real remedy in, in this realm. It's just fascinating how it's just, uh, you know, pomp and circumstance, em- empty gestures. And just make sure for the audience, because like, I think we forget about this. Like this can be really overwhelming for people who are just like stumbling upon this stuff. Yeah. None of it's binding. It's, it's all a legal fiction world. It's not, it's just the system that we're in. And that's what they're tricking us to participate with. You technically don't have to participate in it, but then the things you have to do to give up to not participate in it are too, are too much for the average person, myself included. So it's like, uh, the, the system is totally occulted. It's not consensual. And that's my problem with it. And the fact that they prevent you, like a lot of people always argue about what currency needs to be the reserve currency. And they're missing the point that there should no be, there should not be a world's reserve currency. There should be competing currencies and it's called freedom and you can buy and sell whatever you want to buy and sell in. You want to trade some milk for something? You want to trade some cattle? You're just going to have to deal with the perishable nature of those goods and don't be whining when, you know, you don't have any serious money that actually lasts a long time and preserves wealth. But the idea of corralling everybody into one currency so that then they can tax all the commercial transactions, that's the friggin' problem. And if you get rid of that, there's no more problems. Gold, crypto, it doesn't matter what you use because it's all legal. And when you're not paying taxes on all this nonsense, then it works. The only reason it doesn't work is because Everybody wants to control this world currency thing so they can control the world populations and commerce in general. So like, just look at the symbolism of the ends of court. This is from middletemple.org.uk. So uh, there's your Pegasus, Gabriel. Yep. <laughs> there's your Agnes Day right there's here. There's your Lamb of God. Yeah. Do you guys have any breakdowns on any of these symbols before I take this off the screen? 
just that we're, uh, I guess it's kind of a split that we see uh, Leo with the lions, but then uh, Aries with the lamb for sure. And uh, Pegasus technically is in Aquarius, but it's huge. It bridges all the way to Aries as well. I've got something to say. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't appreciate when I syncretize this and they say, oh, Dylan's just seeing the sun and everything. But the monogram or the old symbol of the god Saturn, which uh, was the sun, is the sign of the cross together with the ram's horn, an indication of the lamb of God. Who else does that? Bears that? Jupiter. Go look at the astrotheological symbols or the astrological symbols of Saturn and Jupiter, and you see I will be right again. (laughs) All right, buddy. You you can you got more notes, right? Yeah, we're not done yet, but it's up to you guys. So let's carrying on. Let's go for the roles of an express trust. We've already established that a certificate is a document evidencing ownership or debt. I don't think we established that. This is copied from uh, my book. So that's the material. Uh, For those who don't know, a certificate is in legalese is a document evidencing ownership or debt. So that's the real thing. When you see birth certificate, they own you or they own that trust and you're indebted to them. So the birth certificate or certificate of live birth is signed by the state registrar. When a man's condition is changed from freedom to bondage, a slave, that would be the capitis diminutio maxima. Now, that would make it a bond, would it not? So a straw man, also known as Thramaneus Homo, is a corporation, a legal fiction, a debt note signed by the slave and assigned to a live man or woman that is phonetically the same name but completely different in terms of green language. So that CQV is not the living flesh and blood sovereign inhabitant, the living soul, whichever, you know, the living person can never be made a slave. You can be, you know, someone can take control over you, but you are not ever actually a slave. You're just in a, in a, some sort of non-voluntary situation, but slavery masters, they don't actually exist in nature. And so an express trust consists of three parties. The first is the grantor, which is the creator or the truster. You have the trustee, And then you have the beneficiaries. So the grantor surrenders ownership of property to a legal person, the trust, to be managed by the trustee on behalf of those who are to benefit from the arrangement, the beneficiaries. Sessica v. Trusts are merely formed by fiat, which is authoritative decree, sanction, or order, which is why all paper money is called fiat. Fiat is also defined as an arbitrary decree or pronouncement, or in other words, Man's law, sorcery, that's, that's the whims of man. And so this is from ex parte Frank Knowles in the opinion of the court. By metaphysical refinement, in examining the form of our government, it might correctly be said that there is no such thing as a citizen of the United States. But constant usage arising from the convenience and perhaps necessity and dating from the formation of the Confederacy has given substantial existence to the idea which the term conveys. 
a citizen of any one of the states of the union is held to be and called a citizen of the United States. Although technically and abstractly, there is no such thing. To conceive a citizen of the United States who is not a citizen of some one of the states is totally foreign to the idea and inconsistent with the proper construction and common understanding of the expression as used in the Constitution, which must be deduced from its various other provisions. The object then to be attained by the exercise of the power of naturalization was to make citizens of the respective states. Do you, think that's, do you think that's air you're breathing? <laughs> that's 1855, by the way, July 1855. So as of then, there was no such thing as United States citizen. This is the garbage that they've done to us. And then we get the, um, the uh, enfranchisement, a word yeah. after the Civil War, a word that means, what is a franchise, guys? Like McDonald's? <laughs> Free and choice as to which drive through you're going to go up through? Franchise as in you are incorporated. It's a metaphor. Uh, it's a it's an it's a metaphysical egregore. It's a thought so, form. It's civilly dead. It's so basically, though, by taking your your right as a citizen of the United States that is granted to you by what amendment was that? The uh, 14th Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. Is it the 14th or the 13th? You have to look it up. Probably 14th the 13th. Is citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. It, it turned everybody into it, like right, like every yeah, because everyone thought it was like, oh, it frees the slaves, but it really just turns us all into slaves. Yeah, it's a, it was an amazing trick. And so this is from a case called uh, Twining versus New Jersey. And this is from 1908, and it says, "quote The rights described by Mr. Justice Washington were again treated as rights of state citizenship under state protection." If then it be assumed, without deciding the point, that an exemption from compulsory self-incrimination is what is described as a fundamental right belonging to all who live under a free government and incapable of impairment by legislation or or judicial system. It is, so far as the states are concerned, a fundamental right inherent in state citizenship and is a privilege or immunity of that citizenship only. Do you guys see that? If you are a state citizenship, you are incapable of impairment by legislation or judicial decision. Not the U.S. citizen, though. They can't do this shit that they're doing to us in courts, that they're doing it back in the old system. I seriously wonder if the, you know, the U.S., you know, if it no longer means the United States, you know, they took the A away, then now it's just U.S. I seriously wonder if it uh, covertly connects to Unum Sanctum. It has to. If they're actually implying Unum Sanctum. You know? I, I, would, I would not be surprised in the least. Yeah. So basically, oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm just thinking there, uh, like, there's probably a strong case to make uh, that that's covertly what they're really signaling, uh, you know, when they use the phrase. But Yeah, and I'm not the guy for that stuff because I would never fight this in their system. Like, my whole thing is to avoid their system. That's what I recommend people do. But some people, they're cut out for that fight and they have that resources and they got that fire. So those are the people you're going to want to look to and see what kind of results they're having in the system. But, uh, and, you know, some people get it, but it's, it, 
the the amount of fighting and bickering in it and like there's just not one solid way it's like there's all the everybody has quote unquote success and all these different methods that to me that's not really satisfactory yet but um that also yeah. might be just a symptom of the fact that this system is not really even internally consistent no it's not that's the problem I mean, they make the rules up as they go that i think that exactly and they they obfuscate that by all of the terms of art that the attorneys are wielding, AKA legalese, the basically it's like another language that resembles English, but it's a copyrighted, you know, crown temple language. So it's not internally consistent, but nobody knows enough about the rules of this grabbler football game to actually be able to, you know, notice that it's not actually there's no fairness to it really i mean i wonder though if the origins of this you know the idea of a trial by jury uh, of your peers etc and how far back it goes into the ancient world if it goes all the way back as far as you can see in india and asia that's what they've yeah if if there's some kind of oh and in mexico it's also in mexico and the fact that yeah the fact that it goes back so far makes me wonder if it's like many other things we see where it started out well-intentioned, maybe was positive overall and has gotten more and more corrupted as it's gone on and new rules have been added. Yeah. I think it is important to be a little bit sensitive of the times when all this stuff is written, but in the fact that it goes all the way back, it goes back to Mexico, ancient Mexico. I mean, that should be raising red flags for people. What, what other consistencies are there between, you know, the system that ancient Britons and ancient Indians had with uh, what was found in Mexico by conquistadors? The religious symbolism. Like almost everything in uh, Mexico, it, this next book will blow your mind. And you see like the stuff that they found. They literally didn't know how to, to explain how they could have all these customs and religious rites and similar, the exact same astrological calendars and their mistakes, et cetera. And just go, well, how did it get here? And the way they dismiss it is just, it's just like the church does to everybody who threatens it. Well, it's of the devil. They were given this information by the devil. So a lot of that is going to be explored in thorough depth in the next book that you're publishing, right? Yep. I mean, this book was literally just uh, like a, a sidestep. Like I, it, I was, I was, this was going to be in that book, but it ended up being such a rabbit hole that it needed to be its own book to explain how this got to Mexico. And um, yeah. So like, just to reiterate that case we just described between Twining and New Jersey it means if you're a state citizen, then you're not subject to federal jurisdiction. That's D.C. And since the federal United States are territories in a private foreign corporation, the United States Inc., whatever, it operated and owned, it's operated and owned by a private entity. Well, then the United States citizens are artificial. If you look at the system, they're artificial persons. They're fictitious entities under the jurisdiction of Roman laws. They're not flesh and blood people. And so that's. That's where like people need to realize how they've been taken off the land into this maritime admiralty system. And then it gets even worse because the two years after that banking act in 1933, they passed the social security act and the states were allowed it allotted money 
by the Secretary of the Treasury provided that each state met the total number of live births as the total of the previous year's number or the most recent statistics. Quote, Section 502A, out of the sums appropriated pursuant to Section 501 for each fiscal year, the Secretary of Labor shall allot to each state $20,000 and such part of $1.8 million as he finds that the number of live births in such state bore to the total number of live births in the United States in the latest calendar year for which the Bureau of the Census has available statistics. And people look at, well, 20 grand, what? Or $1.8 million? Well, do you know how much purchasing power that had in 1933? (laughs) What it would be worth in today's fiat? If you look at annual salaries in 1935, it was $1,500 a year. In the media, uh, the median individual income for 2016, when I wrote this, is $51,939. So that's 34.626 times higher. That's how awful inflation is. So if your wealth is accumulated and stored in Federal Reserve notes or other fiat paper, your wealth cannot be generationally preserved. And so I would ask anybody watching, do you think you could impact the world around you with $62.3 million? That's the kind of purchasing power that $1.8 million had in 1935. And that's how the Federal Reserve steals your wealth and keeps you in generational poverty. And the fruits of your labor are made to lose their value exponentially every year after you've earned them. And if we get stuck in these central bank digital currencies, which would be programmable, there's no end to what they could do to us to devalue our purchasing power. There's no end in sight. In fact, even this system no longer exists in America. You need wheelbarrows full of cash to get a loaf of bread. You can no, get- They could just shut it off, Chance. They could just say, oh, we don't like interverse podcasts. You can't use that currency outside of five miles from your house. Yeah, and that's them being nice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if right? they're like really mad, they just say you can't buy anything. A hundred percent, dude. It's it's scary. But that's that's why this is so serious. And I'm not saying- Digital currency is all bad because it it facilitates the fast transactions that we're accustomed to. The problem is, is forcing people to do that and only that. Just like forcing people to use gold and only gold is a bad thing, right? Because there's only so much. So, and that presents a whole nother problem, but that's not for this. In 1921, the Shepherd Towner Act then incentivized the states to create birth registrations to report to the Board of Maternity and Infant Hygiene in order to receive money from the Treasury under the condition that each state's population bears to the total population of the states of the United States, according to the last preceding United States Census. And it was created under the guise of women's rights and protecting children. And if there weren't a private entity like the Federal Reserve owning through theft and subterfuge the United States of America, vital records would indeed be useful. But through birth registrations, which became birth certificates, hence the need to be signed by the registrar, they created uh, the federal child, hence the enactment of the federal child welfare laws. The Shepherd Towner Act expired in 1929, but then was expanded upon in the Social Security Act of 1935. Now, if this just like all that, that, that shit about infant hygiene, you know, the fact that the enemy could be a social problem like cooties, that the talismanic phrase public health is invoked whenever extreme tyranny wants to be, you know, laid down. I think that's all also very important connections back to the origins of the system with the therapeutic. You know, the the miracle healers, (laughs) snake oil, 
Yeah, the miracle workers, and they are devils working miracles, even admitted. So if this treachery wasn't daunting enough, the dark occultists cast another spell to protect themselves called the Alien Registration Act of 1940, which made it illegal for any resident, which is a slave, or citizen of the United States of America to quote-unquote knowingly or willfully advocate, abet, advise, or teach the duty necessity, desirability, or propriety of overthrowing the government of the United States corporation or of any state by force or violence or for anyone to organize any association which teaches, advises, or encourages such an overthrow or for anyone to become a member of or to affiliate with any such association. So our founding fathers are telling us it's our duties to overthrow corrupt governments if it ever happens. That's why they're arming us. And now we've got the Alien Registration Act of 1940 that says if you talk about this stuff, it's illegal. See how they're like constantly like yes. making themselves. It's, it's that constant psychopathic like they pretend to be the victims and projecting all their garbage onto you and make you the enemies. And you can't protect yourselves from these predators. That's what they're trying to do. And people don't seem to wake up to how serious this is. They're just like, nah. it's, it's like so like nonchalant what's happening. And you're literally watching our country circle the drain. And, and back um, to the trading with the enemy act, I think maybe the, okay. So Jim and Rachel Maiden showed us in the Colin line, the word enemy from the 1891 blacks law edition. And it's, the nation which is at war with another or a citizen or subject of such a nation. I think maybe what's being said there, Colt Lee, is referring to that state citizen of one of the natural states versus uh, U.S. federal citizenship. That the enemy referred to in the Trading with the Enemy Act is the flesh and blood human being on the land from Missouri or Iowa or whatever, as opposed, and as those are not the same nation as the corporation called the United States. It's possible. I don't know. But the thing is, you have to remember these people are bound by the same system. So they have to always leave themselves loopholes. And so that's what I think all of this is for. So like when they were confiscating gold and, and they weren't really confiscating gold, people will be dramatic about that. It was just a law that was passed. Everybody who turned it in, turned it in voluntarily um that's how it always works yeah i don't think there's one case of anybody being rounded up like people have kind of talked about that but i don't think they've ever proved to be one case of the government like raiding you and stealing your gold that may or may not be there well it's the same with what happened with the most recent psyop was you know they told you you needed the cowpoke to do this or that but if you actually just knew your rights you never needed it i I knew people crossing borders you know (laughs) there were on the news they're like you got to get the poke before you can come to and from the united states to and from canada and i knew people that did that and they did not have to get a poke or or a test or anything so i think they use the media and always have whether it was the newspapers back in the day or cnn canon (laughs) canon now right that they convince people that yeah there's this bullying coercion going on but really it's convincing them to be afraid of of bullying or coercion and do it to themselves and no one ever actually makes you do a damn thing 
And that's like one of the things, the reason they're able to use the media is because Obama got rid of the Smith-Munt Act, which prevented the CIA and anyone else from using propaganda on American citizens. So once you get rid of that, everything they've done is quote unquote legal. And they can, you know, justify any way they want. Well, we had to, to protect you. But notice how the merciless always beg for mercy. Oh, I think it's time for us all to have a, you know, forgive each other for what we didn't know under the darkness of COVID. What, you know, like the, you know, the, uh, the Atlantic editorial. <laughs> no, God may forgive you, but uh, you need to be decorating the cities, baby, for sure. hundred yeah. percent. And um, like, so like, remember how I was saying, like, Heel hauled, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, for real. Uh, and remember how like the statutes, I was telling you they exist in the penal code. So they're basically an agreement, right? It's a contract. The statutes, they're not actual laws. Well, if you look up like what the colonists stated, like in the declaration to take up arms, like what, what one of the reasons they were rebelling against the crown is that they wrote by one statute, it is declared that parliament can of right make laws to bind us in all cases whatsoever, right? And that's the exact same type of black magic as the papal bulls, especially the ones that have that for perpetual remembrance, you know? And they even say like they're using these maritime admiralty systems beyond their ancient limits because in the old days, the benefit was, well, we're going off to the crusade. Well, what happens if you fall in battle? Well, I'm going to set up a trust. So everything, if, if you don't hear from me in seven years, I'm legally dead. And then you can act the trust, my estate, everything gets taken care of my heirs, yada, yada, yada. And the directions are there. That's why it's expressly written. Right. So, and so that has to do with the, there's a difference between that versus uh last will and testament, right? The way that that's set up now. Say that again. There's a difference between a trust, as you described it, versus uh the will and testament that they want people to write out now. Um, I'm sure there's differences, but like that's that system is still in play because that's how the elites use it to control everything. They own they they put all of their assets and everything in these trusts or foundations or whatever else, and then they're not liable for anything. And um, that's how you circumvent the taxing and having to declare what you own and all that stuff. So they still play the ball like they're still what they're doing is totally legal. And that's what people don't understand because they're not being helped. Like all the loopholes exist. You just have to know them. So Rachel says these terms are semantics battles. I yeah. agree. It's all about the shim antics. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That could, that could be like the name of one of your chapters in your book. Shim antics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For real. Um, you know, I'll just le- read you one last quote from the congressional record by a gentleman named Patman. And he said, under the new law, the money is issued to the banks in return for government obligations, bills of exchange, draft note, drafts, notes, trade acceptances, and bankers acceptances. The money will be worth 100 cents on the dollar because it is backed by the credit of the nation. It will represent a mortgage on all the homes and other property of all the people in the nation. And that is March 9th, 1933. We are all the freaking collateral. They can do whatever they want and it doesn't matter because they've got the productivity of the United States. And as long as you have the productivity of the United States people, that's your collateral for all this crazy, you know, quadrillions in derivatives. So I yield, I yield back and you guys will talk about whatever you want. 
that just you know proves the system is founded in mammon, which is a concept referring to false valuation. Like to even say that human lives and productivity are the collateral for something is putting a value, monetary value on a human life, which you cannot put, you know, everything that you would do to put a value on something of nature is in and of itself false. And we're able to do that in terms of trade and barter, decide what is something worth to me in this moment and in this exchange. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But when you're putting this, <laughs> when you're putting human beings up as collateral, that's like it, in effect, the worship of this God of mammon. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't realize that B bail, B A A L the Lord you're paying bail B A I L to get out. You're bailing yourself out. It's the same thing when you're like, um, I don't know if anybody's ever had like, or a you're bailing your ship. That's, you know, sinking. You have yeah, to, I'm just, I'm just about to say, if you've ever had like a little skiff or a dinghy, you take it on the ocean. If you start taking on water, you have to have like a pail to like get it out or you're going to sink, you know? So it's your, that's a bail. You're bailing yourself out. Right. So this so is all the, related. It's all related. Be, this bail character is also in terms of the Trinity symbolism would be the mediator, the salvator, salve, you need salvation, salvage. It's this SLV root, which connects to so many things. I mean, what are the consonants in the word slave? SLV. And there's more to it than that. This is exactly the kind of things that we need to get into the kids' hands earlier. You know what I mean? The, the kids need to have this at a much, much younger age. That's why I wrote Spirit World, man. I was thinking about myself at 16. I was like, what yeah. could I have written for myself to get me a leg up on this to save me a whole lot of problems? That was it. Yeah, man. Yep. You have a lot more notes, Dylan? No, that's that's the end of my uh, what I had prepared. It was like 10 pages of notes, and we can talk about whatever you guys want now. Damn, dude, that's like perfect timing. You hit the two hour mark. Exactly. That's nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that this material, it can seem complicated, convoluted, overwhelming. And <laughs> Stacy said it best. Just stop playing bail. I mean, stop playing ball. Uh, you know, don't sign your name to debts. Uh, do what you have to do. I think realizing First of all, a lot of this is the the coercion of the system is based in the fear of what will happen if you don't play ball. And all that is untrue and is a fundamental misunderstanding of how nature and reality works. I think that however, whatever this realm is, it's set up in such a way that every being within an ecosystem or an environment exists in that environment with all the necessary resources for its survival and thriving available in some way. And so with this bail character, this mediator, you know, the priest between you and God, all the different versions of this idea of salvation is setting you up from the beginning with this belief of without this system, without this, uh, without this Messiah, whatever the case may be, I maybe wouldn't be able to survive. And so people will lead lives of drudgery, enslaved to Kronos, working nine to five jobs that they hate and exchanging it for more debt and never getting off of that 
rat race hamster wheel. But those of us that have jumped out of it in one way or another have all, I mean, everyone I know, <laughs> you know, what, regardless of what level of success they were starting out with in whatever venture they're in, engaged in, everybody finds a way, you know, got like, if you are a, a moral person, and you're not self-sabotaging through sin, which is that anything that makes you weaker by doing things not the way nature would do it. You know, if you're not self-sabotaging with sin, <laughs> you're, you're going to find the way, you know, you, if you're not distracted by all of this bullshit of, uh, sort of like fake survival games, then the truth, which is always within your love within your level of consciousness within your environment will be accessible to you. And the truth of what you need to survive, the truth of how you're going to get it, how you're going to do it, you know, the generosity of the spirit of the true spirit of nature as it expresses through other human beings. You know, if you are, if you're a moral person, you can survive without putting yourself in debt and you can thrive without putting yourself in debt and you can do it without putting yourself into enslavement to, uh, you know, the fiat, the fiat, but whatever system. And it, you, you don't know until you try, you don't know until you quit playing ball, but you can do it. Like it's, it's literally, in my opinion, baked into the way that nature operates and works. You would not exist in the environment that you exist in if it was not set up to support you. But when you go live in fake environments and cubicles and offices and doing shit that you hate, you know, then you're playing in an artificial realm. And in that fictitious place, you can be, you know, in lack, you can fail to make it all kinds of stuff. So it's hopefully people are understanding what I mean with this rant here, but like that's I think the biggest grapple of the system is convincing you that you can't survive without it or outside of it or without taking on the debts or obligations within it. And, you know, I've, I've got debt. I've got a mortgage. I wouldn't have taken it on if I knew this stuff, but it is what it is. And I'm still doing, I'm still surviving within what level of ball I have to play and thriving. Well, here, let me know. give you some, let me give you some like, peace of mind about that. As long as you have fixed rate debt, that's the problem is most people don't get fixed rate debt. But in this system, the mortgage is the best place for it, your purchasing power to work in your favor, right? Inflation works in your favor if you have fixed rate debt. Because oh, that's true. I mean, so the, now what the you have to do is have asset. Yeah. Now the asset, as long as you have certain, you should, I'm not giving advice, but a good model is 80, 10, 10. So 80% of your wealth should be in things that pay you to own them. 10% is speculative, right? That's like the cryptocurrencies, silver, whatever. And then the other 10% is insurance, which is gold. That way if shit goes upside down, the gold will be your anchor. And in terms of like a mortgage, well, that purchasing power, because if you don't pay it off and you pay it as slow as possible, it depreciates in value. Because the because the contract secures and that fixed rate debt secures the original purchasing power or the original price agreed upon, which constantly loses value at the rate of inflation or whatever else. So that's the one thing that m works in your favor, provided it's fixed, fixed year thirty year. That's what you want, fixed rate thirty year. And someone said debt in the comments, and I just thought about philologically debt. If you look at the P and B interchange and the T and TH, like potter and father, debt becomes depth and depth is associated with the abyss and with hell. 
So to be in debt is like to be in hell. Anecdotal, but it's there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, that's another strange thing about all of this, you know, trust law. One of the reasons that kind of justifies the, you know, the corporation, the death speak of these terms of art is the fact that people can actually reanimate your estate after you're dead and they can do things with the bodies of work that you've done after you're long gone. So there is uh, actually a very good reason for it to have these necromantic uh, strings attached to it. Very good reason. Uh, But uh, it still makes me kind of, I don't know, feel like I'm like we're dealing with fucking dark magics. You know what I mean? That's literally, and then, you know, people might say you're like, like they might insult you for this, but it's like, well, if it's not necromancy, why are there dead presidents on it? Right. Why are there dead saints embedded in the walls of the temples and churches? Of yeah, the and why are they always talking about raising the dead? Well, that's therapeutic, working miracles, healers, you know? Yes. Buddhists. And, you know, it's like this, people often get scared of this book because they see the blackest of all magic. But from my mind, I couldn't think of any other way to call this system than it's, it's literally the worst sorcery I've ever looked at. It's worse than anything Aleister Crowley's done. Anybody like you could take the most perverted occultists and they've done not even like one tenth is how hideous this system is. So it's the blackest of all magic to me. Yeah, man, I, I think that we should give our final thoughts and wrap up. Uh, you know, we went three and a half hours last week, so <laughs> this is if we can keep the, the time. No, this is a good a one. Quick. Let's let's wrap it up. It was a great episode. Thank you for giving me the platform to do this. I really appreciate it. And Gabe, thanks no, for being here. No, man, you you crushed, brother. You brought the info. You brought the research. We are definitely in huge appreciation to you. We need a different phrase, you know, like I'm indebted to you for your service, my friend, but <laughs> I just appreciate it. You know, this my is uh, this amazing, amazing people will probably want to hear this again and keeping the, the runtime a little shorter. will hopefully encourage more people to tune in. We had a great, great, lively audience. I saw a lot of stuff get shared in the call-in line. So if you guys aren't familiar with the Vibrant call-in line, it's a Telegram group we have going. Uh, Go check that out. Spock has shared a lot of good stuff in here. And Gabriel, do you have any closing thoughts on this stuff before we go? Oh, you're muted there, homeboy. Nice. Thanks. Uh, uh, I think of Clint Richardson's little gem uh, where he... Uh, puts forward the the definition of solution is the end of a contract and that's really that's really something to think about it's like you know everybody wants a solution uh uh in to a large degree that is you know to disengage you know and start working on the private side you know start knowing your uh your parallel markets uh so yeah uh, that's all I'm going to say, say to that, you know, uh, the solution or the soul ocean, the soul ocean. I'd love that, man. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah everybody but, just don't get caught up in the shem antics and you'll be fine. That's right. That's right. I love that, dude. That's so awesome. I never thought of that. <laughs> Great. Hey, Dylan, thank you very much, by the way, I'm looking forward to finishing spirit world here. I'm almost done. 
Thanks for reading it. You know, like I, I, I think people like you will see more than I ever could because it's not my forte. Like the only thing that motivated me to do this was getting to the bottom of this system. But then it just kept going. I'm like, does this shit ever end? And it's like now it's like, oh, it's uncovering actual history. And that's gotten even more interesting to me because I don't have to talk about all these controversial things as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I can focus more on the inversion of history. And that's even more exciting for me. So oh, I yeah. just appreciate you guys reading my work. And I like seeing, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are smarter than me that will do more than I could have just because they had a couple little bit of help and showing them, hey, try looking at it this way. This is the actual system by the priests. You know, yeah, but- beautiful. You guys always a pleasure to have the three of us together. Try, you know, triplicity of fire signs as we are. <laughs> Yeah, and thank all, you to the audience, all, three of us all of you guys watching us. So all you guys watching us now and then in the future, thank you for supporting Chance. Please support his channel as much as possible so he can keep doing this and bringing on guests and giving me a platform and bringing on other ideas to, you know, that's, you know, it's really, it's important that you support him because, you know, it's not like the algorithms are freaking recommending him, right? So I'm um, not like archaics or something. Yeah, right. And like he's freaking <laughs> like, I'm not going to say anything, but you know what I'm just, you know, like, please thank you for supporting and please continue to support. If you're seeing this for the first time in a future date, please support these guys like dissident and chance. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you being here. Awesome. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And uh, everybody also want to let remind you of a way to support since he brought it up is you can, you know, get in touch with me chance at interversepodcast.com. We can do a tuning or a, a counseling session with the, Tarot and I Ching. And also I have the brand new merch store. I'll drop that in the chat as well, but it's innerversemerch.com. I won't promise that things would necessarily arrive in time for Christmas, but hey, still worth checking out. Got a lot of original art on there. And definitely stay tuned for Sunday night with John McHugh. We're going to be talking about the astro theology of the ancient Sumerian and Akkadian system how that informs not only the Greek mythology, but also every miracle story in the Quran and in the Bible, straight up derived from the wordplay within the constellation and star names above our heads. Proving very conclusively the antiquity of the system and that these, uh, you know, mystics are just as misleading as your mechanists. Scientism is a religion. Religion is scientism. It's all the same thing. Let's get back to the truth of nature, what we actually, what actually exists and get out of fiction. And with that, good night, everybody. Love y'all. Catch you later.